Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There has been a persistent, persistent thread through the church from the very first century. A theological idea that the church has had to fight against right from the beginning. We, in theological circles, call it Gnosticism, spelled with a G-N-O-S-T. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know or to have knowledge of. There was so much emphasis from Jesus on heart work, on really inhabiting the spirit. And by the time the Gospel of John was written, there was also a great emphasis that said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And if you're not hearing me, it's ostensibly maybe because you're not a sheep or something, I don't know. But the Gnostics, who were already well established in Greek philosophy, they took hold of that and said that the Christian faith is really about having a, a spiritual experience with God. And furthermore, they came to say that if you are specially selected by God, the way it works is like this in Greek mythology. A redeemer who lives in the world of the gods comes down to this earth where everything is an illusion, a copy of the real ideal, the Plato ideal. They come down to the earth and they collect those that they are going to redeem and then they ascend back up to heaven the descending and ascending redeemer. And so the Gnostics in the Greek philosophical circles, I hope you're still with me on this, they thought, they saw the preaching and the news of Jesus as a perfect opportunity to say that Jesus was a divine Gnostic redeemer who came to deliver our souls and to save our spirits. The problem with the Gnostics and the reason it became a problem for the church, Paul wrote a great deal about them. Even the author of the Gospel of John would write letters later on saying, have nothing to do with these people. They're leading you astray. Because their problem was that they said, now that my soul and spirit are in heaven, now that I have received the divine knowledge, now that I hear the Savior's voice, it doesn't matter what happens to my body anymore. My body is part of this illusory world. My spirit is going to be with God. So, you had this horrible circumstance of those people calling themselves Christian, going to the Wednesday night prayer meeting, and then stopping in a brothel on the way home. Or stopping to tip a few with some friends and getting carried away and getting a little too liquored up. Or carousing or doing any other kind of thing and, they, and at the end of the day excusing themselves and saying it doesn't matter that's all part of the flesh and blood world and my spirit is soul is my heart is safe with God are you with me on this? you know our adversary still uses this kind of theological thinking even today we can excuse all manner of self-indulgence by saying, well, you know, yeah, I'm not doing things exactly the way God would have me do them, but 
after all, when this is all done and I have shuffled off this mortal coil, I'll be with God in heaven and he'll fix whatever is broken. I'm standing in front of you today and if I step on your toes, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> I want to deliver the gospel to you this morning. And it begins with Paul, who wrote this magnificent letter to the Romans. And by the way, Paul had never met the Roman church when he wrote this letter. He was writing from a prison in Ephesus. He hoped to go to Rome. He hoped to meet these people face to face. And he hoped that he would be able to raise enough money to take his final missionary journey up into Spain so that the entire Roman Empire could hear the gospel of Christ preached. This was a letter of introduction. He was showing his theological chops to them. He was showing them the ideal expression of Christianity. He was affirming again that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because all are descended from the one who sinned originally. But as sin once entered the world through one, so now grace has entered the world through Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. By the grace of God, our sins are forgiven. But more than this, we are meant now to walk with God in grace. So we come to this 12th chapter of Romans, and he says, and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but become transformed by the renewing of your mind. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as living sacrifice to God. Not becoming conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Do you hear it? Paul is welding our flesh and blood to the story of salvation. That when our spirits and our souls are brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that we can just shed all concern about what happens to our bodies. What it does, in fact, mean is that we have to animate these bodies with a new power, with the power of the resurrection. We need to rework the way we spend our physical selves in this world so that we become agents of God's transformation to a hurting world. It matters absolutely what happens to our flesh and blood because we are children of the resurrection. And try as people... Try as they might, down through the years, people have never been able to separate the power of the resurrection from our bodies. Paul would even say, now I know that whatever is sown in faith is going to spring forth in something new and wonderful. And our resurrection bodies may be as different from us as an oak tree is from an acorn. But the bodies still matter. What we do in the flesh matters absolutely. Those who come to church from time to time expecting a free pass, cheap grace, an easy walk, expecting the pastors just to be able to say, now, God has your souls and spirits. Go on, do whatever comes to mind. Please yourselves, it's okay. Remember to live joyfully in this world. I, I'm sorry. The church is called to something higher than that. While we struggled in sin, before we knew Jesus, our bodies were in tow, behind the impulses of survival, the impulses of me first, of walk softly and carry a big stick, of appetites of the flesh of all manner. 
So that our spirits were being dragged through the gutter by our bodies and our fleshly appetites. But now that we know the Lord, our souls are being reshaped and reformed. And what has to happen is we need to turn the train around so that our souls no longer follow the flesh, but the flesh now comes under the Lordship of Christ through the power of His Spirit. Does this make sense? It matters absolutely what we do in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit is our aid and our comfort and our guide in this, calling us every day to listen carefully so that we know how to spend our flesh. We know how to spend our lives, our treasure, our stewardship, our resources, our hours, days, minutes. I am not going to stand here and decide for you at what point playing solitaire at 11.30 at night becomes sin. But there is a point at which playing solitaire at 11.30 at night becomes sin. Because our bodies need rest. They need to be cared for. I am so inspired by your lady, a grandmother, going to Hawaii to run her first marathon. And I'm inspired because she has gone through a transformation this year. And her body is growing strong in the strength of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our bodies need to be cared for. They need good nutrition. They need exercise. They need to get up from the cubicle and walk around every 15 minutes. And they need their sleep. And at some point, when the agitated spirit won't allow us to sleep and we're just laying there and we get up and we play some more on the computer screen, it becomes an expression of sin. I just was reading the other day that somebody said, if you want a good night's sleep, make sure that you don't stare into any electronic screen of any kind for at least an hour before you go to bed. Could you do it? Could you set your phone down and turn off the computer and set the TV aside? Could you go to bed without looking at anything electronic? Our bodies need this. But part of what we struggle against when we read these words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Part of what we struggle with is that we tend to over-personalize these instructions of Paul. How am I doing in my life? I've got mine. How are you doing in your life? How are you shaping your life up? Are you reflecting more and more the image of Christ? And church, I really want us to hear this. There is no point in these opening lines of Romans 12 where Paul is speaking to anyone in the first person. Wherever it says you, it ought to say all y'all. All y'all need to stop being conformed to this world and become transformed by the renewing of your minds. There's a we involved here. He's speaking to the whole church. And he goes on to say, and here's how you become transformed by the renewing of your mind. We do it by submitting ourselves to the head of Christ, to the Lordship of Christ, who is the head of the body. And understanding that while we are individuals as we come to Christ, we are made part of a whole body in our baptism. 
And all of us together have this, have this work that we have to do. We have to find a way to renew our collective minds by obedience to the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to elaborate. Now, God gave you each gifts. Every one of you has been imbued with gifts from the Holy Spirit. These are graces from God. And Paul says, I am saying this that I'm saying to you by the grace of God. Don't think more highly of yourself than of anyone else because you are part of the body. You know that the body has many parts and none can function well apart from the body, but the body can't function well without all of its parts. So Paul is essentially saying, keep the priorities in order here. We use these gifts and these talents and these abilities, the smarts, the physical strength. We use all of these things now that we belong to Jesus. We use them to glorify God, not ourselves. I used to have a friend and he was a bit of a rounder in his former life, and some of it spilled over into his Christian life. But whenever he saw people who were getting too full of themselves, he'd say, just glory be to me, eh? <laughs> glory be to me. Well, no, for Christians, it's glory be to God. We seek the glory of God, not our own glory. We seek to raise the reputation of Christ our Savior, not to make a fortune for ourselves. We fit ourselves into the body, understanding that these gifts that we have are from God. And God is our head. So we ask, Lord, how do I use these gifts to glorify you? How do I use them to build up your church? For these gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ. And while we're at it, one of the other things we need to watch out for is not comparing ourselves to other people. I hear that down the road in Mission Viejo or Santa Margarita, there's a 20,000 member church down there. And the man who preaches there is called by God to preach the gospel in that context. When I'm called to preach here, my church isn't 21,000 members. What does that matter? I need to be as faithful as I know how to be in preaching the gospel each and every time I'm given the grace to preach. And maybe you don't think of yourself as a great singer. Or maybe you don't think of yourself as a Bible scholar. Or maybe the person across the street knows more theology than you. Or maybe the person across the street is better at evangelizing than you. And, and if you catch yourself comparing yourself to other people, you would never step out and do anything for God. But the, the glorious truth and the hard truth for all of us is that unless we each step out with our gifts to do our work, all of us are diminished. So it's not only a me transformation, it's more importantly a we transformation. The church must learn to leave the world's way of thinking in our committees, in our work, in our serving, in our Bible study, we have to leave behind and we have to learn how to think as a body together under the Lordship of Christ. I went to a meeting of a couple of Methodist pastors a few weeks ago. I know that sounds grim sometimes. 
And they were all talking about the decline in numbers and the poor attendance for the summer and this and that and the other. And there was one or two that was, that were trying to kind of say, well, it's not so bad where I am. And, and you know, it just was a meeting that left me really flat. It didn't seem to go anywhere and it drained my energy a little bit. And I, I decided on my way home, I saw the little ubiquitous green mermaid uh, sign as I was driving down the street and I thought, I'm gonna get a cup of coffee that will make me feel better. So I pulled into a parking structure and I walked through a labyrinth between a Kinko's and a few other businesses and a little Starbucks there. As I came around the corner where the coffee shop was, there were a couple of little bicycles kind of strewn across the sidewalk. There was a guy that had a tattoo that went clear up his sleeve. There was another guy that had a couple of piercings and some rather kind of stringy looking hair. And there was a couple of others hanging around. It was just this plot of young people. We were near college, so I thought, well, maybe they're from the college or maybe they're just street urchins hanging around. I just, I felt myself saying, try not to make eye contact, just get past. And I went inside and I ordered my coffee. And while I stood there, I saw two of these young people grab their hands. And they grabbed, reached out and others, and they formed a circle. And then they put their arms around each other. And then their heads bowed. And they began to pray passionately. Just praying right there. There were like 20, 25 people in that circle. Just praying. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the body of Christ is doing really well church is alive. It's doing great. Now from time to time we sit in this building and we say, why aren't they here? Why aren't they here? Dear God, just bring them here. Make them come here. And I've got to tell you, if we're going to take seriously the notion that we cannot be conformed to this world, transformed through the renewing of our mind, we may need to go find a couple of coffee shops to find out where the church is alive. We might need to do that. We might need to walk out from here and find what God is blessing in the world. We might take the risk of meeting other people in other places. Because the old world was the world where all you had to do was open the doors and people came to the Methodist church. That was in the 1950s. It's not that world anymore. So church, as I speak to myself, I want to speak to all of us. Let us not be conformed to that old world. Let the Holy Spirit transform us by the renewing of our minds. Let's try some new things. Let's see if we can't get our head into the huddle and pray with some of those young people who are so on fire for Christ that it becomes contagious for all of us. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, let's find what God is blessing in this world and let us go and pursue that for a while. Using our gifts to the fullest of our ability, not comparing ourselves to others, not taking the place of God, not enriching ourselves, with what God has given us, but simply, honestly, filled with the Spirit, serving the Lord as we serve one another.
Let us make our bodies into one body. And with that body of Christ, remind the world that there is no salvation that does not also include the stewardship and obedience of the flesh to Christ our head.